Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening. I'm Nathan Owens, and I'm glad you're listening to this, our first episode of That's Truth. I want to introduce you to the other voice you will hear on That's Truth, and that's the voice of Dr. David Murphy. Pastor Murphy will be answering your questions here on That's Truth. Since this is the first episode, I thought it would be very fitting for us to get to know Pastor Murphy. Pastor Murphy, welcome, and I'm glad you could be part of this show. Thank you very much, Nathan. I'm excited. This program has been something that's been on my heart for a number of years, and I know you've had a burden for being able to relate biblical principles to cultural situations. Can you start, Pastor, by sharing with us where were you born, where are you originally from? Uh, Originally, I'm from the island of Barbados. I was born in 1954 uh, in that country, and I was actually... Most of my life I uh, was spent in Barbados until I went to Bible school and after I got involved in different ministries in the Caribbean. But I'm a Caribbean man, true and through. As you were answering that question, I thought, you know, some people wouldn't have even had to hear the word Barbados. They would have heard your Bayesian accent and known where you were from. Tell us a little bit about the family that you grew up in there in Barbados. Well, I, my family, I'm a first-generation believer um, my mom was not a Christian. My dad was not a Christian. Uh, as a matter of fact, I only became exposed to the gospel when missionaries from America came to the island and started a, a Bible club in our community. Uh, my mom encouraged me to attend the, the Bible club, and it was out of that I was first awakened to the gospel. But I'm not coming from a background where my parents were Christians. Uh, they were not. Uh, I... Uh, and my sister, uh, we were the first believers within our family. Do you remember roughly how old you were when you were first exposed to the gospel? Uh, I was probably about 13, 12, 13, around that age. Did you accept Christ that first time? or uh, I made several professions of faith uh, during the Bible, the Bible Club ministry, but I was never truly uh, awakened to the gospel and understood fully the gospel and what it meant until I was about 16 years old uh, when I attended a, a, a crusade that was held in our church where an evangelist came from St. Vincent. I can still remember his name. His name was Reverend Cupid. Uh, it was during the presentation of his message that the Lord really opened my eyes to the fact that even though I'd made professional faith before, I really was not a truly converted individual. And that was a real turning point in my life in terms of my conversional concern. Let me ask you this. So for 
the person who's listening says, but wait, I've prayed, I've made a profession of faith before, and I'm pretty sure I'm saved, but what was it in your life, Pastor, that was the difference between that profession and the difference between a saving faith? What did the Lord open your eyes to? Uh, Specifically, uh, it was the Lord discovering, or I should I say, exposing uh, my true nature. Um, I remember when the evangelist was speaking that even some of the illustrations he used in the biblical passage that he used, uh, I felt he had known me for many years. The specific matters that he raised in the sermon uh, completely exposed the practices I were doing, the things I were engaged in. And it was more God showing me very, very clearly that that message was specifically for me. Uh, and, and it was that that really brought conviction. I'd been forward before, made decisions before, but I think every person knows when they make that real, truly authentic, genuine decision because it's a life-changing decision. If your life hasn't changed after you've made a decision, you're simply not converted. And that was that was one of the main issues with me that night in connection with my conversion. Even though I'd made profession after profession, there was no evident substantial change in my life. So I knew something was definitely wrong. Uh, and so... Uh, My lifestyle, even though I'd made the professional faith, did not match to what I said I had done. And the Lord brought that to my attention, that it was not just going forward, saying a prayer. Uh, It was about about being convicted of your sin, seeing your need for forgiveness and pardon. And then, above all, seeing that the only solution to your problem is Christ and Christ alone. That was the turning point. At what point did you feel the Lord leading you possibly into full-time ministry? It was a process. First of all, I was influenced by many of the pastors who came to speak in our church. Um, I felt the strong desire. Um, I don't know if to imitate them or if to follow in their footsteps, but there was a pull in the direction of the ministry. And then the climactic means that God used was a book written by a gentleman called... um, Missionary, I think it's Norman Lewis, that was his name. That was the book that really eventually pushed me finally in the direction of going into the ministry. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm enjoying this, Pastor, and I know each one of the listeners is also. I've known you for a number of years, and I'm even during this interview getting to know more about you. Now, since you're the one that will be answering the questions that come in on the show, I want to know about your education, and I'm sure. Uh, the listeners do also. You finished secondary school in Barbados, and after that, where did you go, and how did the Lord lead? At the time when I finished secondary school, I was about to attend the community college. Uh, my area of interest was really science. I was a science teacher for many for some years, and uh, I wanted to go into um, to study uh, biology and chemistry, physics, etc. It was at that time when uh, the missionary um, who had started the works in Barbados uh, that we were having some conversations and I was in- telling her I really wanted to go into the ministry but there was no avenue for me to attend college, etc., etc. Bible college, that is. There was none in Barbados. And then most uh, people would, who were going into the ministry, um, in a lot of cases, you don't have the means of that would facilitate going to the U.S. to study in in the year of the ministry, so that was a problem. Um, so I 
I wasn't able to go into college afterwards because an opportunity came. Uh, there was a lady from the States. Her name is Mrs. Uh, Bodner. She was on vacation in the States, and she went to Trinidad. And when she got to Trinidad, it was back in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. And that was the time when they had the Black Power Movement in the Caribbean. And there was a, a real hostility towards uh, Americans at that time. So when she got to Trinidad, the treatment that she was meted out in Trinidad uh, led her to leave Trinidad to come to Barbados. And when she came to Barbados, she was looking for a church. And she just happened to have gone through the telephone book and saw Grace Bible Church, uh, which is not the church I go to, but one I'm associated with. The same Sunday she was going to be there, um, the pastor called me and told me he was not well, he was sick. Uh, would I be willing to fill in for him to preach? So I, I told him, of course, I'd be willing to preach. So I, I preached that night, wasn't even aware that that American lady was in the audience. But the pastor, before he uh, introduced me, explained why I was there to preach and also uh, drew the attention that I was, I want to go to Bible school to study, but um, I needed some help and I especially I needed a guarantor. Uh, who would be willing to sponsor me. Well, uh, that lady was there. She uh, heard me preach, went back to the States. About two or three months later, the missionary called me and told me, the lady uh, called her and said, she just can't get this guy off her mind. Is there anything she can do to help me? Uh, To make a long story short, she decided that she would assume the role of a guarantor, and um, that really is the, the human means that the Lord used for me to be able to go overseas at Bob Jones University uh, to complete my bachelor's in in four years. But without her intervention, without her coming to the Caribbean, it is very likely that I would have been a teacher of science, uh, a teacher in school, rather than being in the ministry. Uh, but that was the avenue that God used. To, that's the door he used to open so that I could train for the ministry. After Bob Jones, um, I came back to the island, I spent two years in Barbados, and then I went on a missionary trip with some young men to the Caribbean islands where we took it upon our own to go to the different islands to preach the gospel. Uh, I ended up in St. Vincent, uh, where I preached at a church there. Uh, I got back home. I was teaching at the time. The month after I returned home, I got a call from the missionary saying that the church asked me if I could become the pastor. Well, uh, I didn't have... Any qualms about that, uh, no hesitation whatsoever. I just told him, yes, I'll come. <laughs> I wish I had known a lot more than, <laughs> than I knew now, because here I was. I, I booked my way, went to the country. When I arrived there, they don't have any place for me to stay. Wow. They don't have any house for me to stay. Uh, it's like it was a, uh, it's a very weird experience. I ended up spending a whole year with another pastor living with him. And then finally he told me, you know, you can't live here forever. <laughs> and I found myself in a dilemma, where am I going to stay, where am I going to live? Uh, but I decided that I would um, put out the knowledge that I needed a place to stay, and eventually I found a place to rent. Uh, I lived a whole year in a house where I had no furniture. Uh, I had All I had was a, a small stove, a desktop stove, my bed was a folded bed that had no mattress, just a spring, with um, um, a, um, a blanket. Uh, 
I, I, I lived that way uh, for over a year. Uh, wow. So it's been an experience for me that one that I perhaps if I was more thoughtful and uh, less zealous, I would have been hesitant. But that is where I honed my skills in the ministry and learned the principle of sacrifice. During that whole time, you were convinced that that's where God would have you. Of course, of course, of course. It was uh, sometimes it's good that you don't know everything. <laughs> But that is where that was my first ministry in St. Vincent. I stayed there for five years, and then I went back to Barbados. I was hoping to go into evangelism because while I was in St. Vincent, I was um, traveling the islands, preaching in different churches, and at that time there was no evangelist, Western evangelist that we knew of, and I was encouraged to go into evangelism. I felt that that was the right thing to do, so I left the church, went back to Barbados, but clearly, that was not uh, uh, God's plan because I ended up spending, oh, the next seven or eight years in Barbados. Um, I waited two years before I decided to go into a job. And after I waited two years and it didn't work out, I found myself back into a secular job. That's where I got into marketing. And then I became a manager for seven years at uh, Gettys Grant. And um, eventually preaching a Sunday uh, a Bible school in St. Vincent and there were some students from St. Lucia who were attending the Bible college and their church needed a pastor at the time and they recommended that the church in St. Lucia consider asking me to come to preach. I told them I would come. I went and I, I preached and um, got back home and within a short space of time they asked me if I would come and take over the pastorate. And I decided to go to St. Lucia. I spent nine years uh, in St. Lucia pastoring and the church in Tiwashe Miku. And uh, I, during that process, I visited Antigua to preach a week of family seminars for Pastor Martin in, in, in Jennings, uh, Maranatha Baptist Church. And some of the folks from Grace Baptist Church, where I am currently, attended that seminar. And uh, after I got back home, I think within a month, that church was looking for a pastor. And they asked me if I would consider... Uh, take uh, come into the ministry, and after several details, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, I accepted the call, and I've been here now going on 16 years at Grace Baptist Church. I have a question, and sure. I'm sure there are others that have the same question. For those who are maybe feeling the Lord moving them on to another location, but they're not sure how to know whether it's the Lord or whether it's just a desire for more convenient circumstances. What advice would you give from the experiences that God has brought you through as to how the Lord confirmed in your mind each time that he was leading you on? Yeah. I would just mention probably three things. Um, one, generally speaking, is a, a general dissatisfaction that you, you develop about wherever you are. Uh, you either feel that um, you've done as much as you can and maybe somebody else could, could come and take the church or another, at another level. But there, there, there's this uh, general dissatisfaction. The other thing is the convergence of circumstances. Um, events that you are not privy to converge uh, to lead you to the assessment and the conclusion that uh, clearly the Lord is aware of your dissatisfaction and he is creating the situation where uh, creating the, the, the environment and the circumstances that a door is being opened for you. And the third thing I would say is, is peace. You must have absolute peace about the decision you're making. I would not move 
if I were you as an individual thinking of changing your ministry, unless you have uh, God's peace about it. You listed a number of uh, different ministries you've been part of, different jobs. Tell us a little bit about your wife. You've been married for over 36 years. Tell us about your wife and your family. Well, my wife is my greatest asset. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know if anybody else could have married me in the first case. Uh, the, the adventure of my life and the things that I have, the challenges I've taken on and the circumstances we found ourselves in and also the situation in which we've lived, I doubt seriously that um, our marriage could have survived uh, without my wife's commitment uh, to God and her commitment uh, to her husband and also the commitment to the ministry. And the the fact that she's always been a very submissive person. Uh, and what, what I mean by that is that she understands that within the home, someone has to be the leader, has to be the head. And when it comes to final decision-making, even though she may differ with uh, the opinion, my opinion, or what I think is best, I've always found her that once I have uh, told her that I believe this is the Lord's will, I believe this is the, the, in the best interest of the, uh, the Lord's work, uh, she has always, uh, she's never battled with me, never um, rebelled, uh, never queried, uh, never challenged. She is uh, of the disposition that the Lord leads the home through uh, the husband, through the head of the home. Uh, and that is why I think, she, not I think, she is my, my greatest asset for the ministry. Um, she got saved at a much later age than I was. Uh, she got saved in, in St. Vincent. And when I met her, um, and she was, she's about, uh, she's four years older than I am. Uh, she already had children when I met her. And that was really one of my biggest obstacles um, how do I handle that situation as a young man? But I came to the conclusion that I could not hold her past against her. Uh, she got converted after um, her lifestyle. Uh, what I was more concerned was the transformative work that God had brought in her life, her commitment to Christ, uh, her submission to her husband, her willingness to serve the Lord, and her availability. Um, those were the factors that led me finally to tied in nuptical knot and, and get married to her. And uh, I have no regret. As I said, I don't know if I wasn't married to her who I could be married to. <laughs> but she's a fabulous person. She's also a very, very um, godly individual. Uh, I have said this in our church, and I make no apology for saying it over the radio. My wife's relationship with God is one of the most intimate that I am aware of. Um, I envy her level of dedication and commitment and, and, and spiritual interest me with, with the Lord. Uh, it is a quality in her life that uh, is just an astounding relationship she has. And um, I think that is really the secret of her ability uh, to follow her husband and live a submissive life and depend upon God, but also recognize that God has established order and authority within the home. And uh, so I think that, that that quality she's brought into the her relationship with the Lord, uh, that intimate relationship, has affected her entire relationship with her family and with her husband. God has blessed you and your wife with three... Yeah, I have three boys with my wife, um, Jonathan, Jasiel, and Johanan. Um, my wife had three children before, um, 
two are still alive. One died at um, 39 years of leukemia. Uh, so the Lord has really blessed the family. And uh, we have um, good boys. Um, we don't have the issues that a lot of people have with their children and drugs and immorality and all those kind of issues. I'm just grateful uh, for the Lord's blessing in that regard. And if I might say this, I've always been thankful that uh, my kids were brought up in St. Lucia. I'm a Barbadian, uh, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't think it was possible within the context of Bar- the Barbadian society to have raised children the way we have. And so I've always been grateful for the experience in St. Lucia as well. Pastor, I know you preach, and I know now you're on a radio program. I've heard that you've written some articles to a local newspaper about some key current events, cultural issues. What were some of those issues, and what led you to write those articles? Uh, I addressed about four issues recently. Um, The first one had to do with uh, the marijuana controversy, the legalization of marijuana. I think the title of the article was uh, the the marijuana, marijuana myth speaking truth to insanity. Basically, it was an article that was designed to be part of the debate going on about the marijuana. Uh, I think it's a gross mistake uh, for any government to legalize marijuana. I think we will see the repercussions of it within the next uh, five to ten years. I think if they look at the Jamaica experience, uh, I cannot understand how any Caribbean government who is aware of what has gone on in, in Jamaica would even ponder the thought or entertain the thought of legalizing marijuana. So I I dealt with it from the physical effects. I talked about the different physical effects of marijuana. Uh, I talked about it from the sociological effects uh, it would have on society. And I dealt with it also from the uh, the physical effects. And then I also dealt with it from the spiritual effects. I am of the the view, from my knowledge, uh, personal knowledge, uh, the fact that I believe that marijuana is not only a gateway to to uh, more harder drugs, but I do believe that any mind-altering drug opens the mind to supernatural forces, infernal supernatural forces, that take over the mind, and uh, a person virtually becomes demonized. I've spoken to several of these guys. I know several of them. I know from experience within my own family uh, what marijuana can do. And I have minimal doubt that it is a spiritual uh, disaster for anyone to engage in the use of marijuana. And those people that hear voices do hear voices. Those people that see things see things. This so-called higher conscious experience is not a, a, an experience where they get to know the true and the living God. Uh, I believe it's the demonic forces that they hear and uh, the article, I thought, was very straightforward, uh, very scientific in terms of looking at the, the, the actual data on the matter. But I think you have within our society here in Antigua and also within the Caribbean, you have a group of people who have vested interests. Uh, sometimes it's mercenary, it's materialistic, uh, and I think also that the the use of marijuana really it's it's a help a lot of a lot of people have problems and issues and rather than, than facing those problems and those issues i I believe that they use the drug to give them some kind of a euphoria, but it always in the long term affects them negatively and it leads to greater use 
and uh, not only greater use of marijuana, but they need harder drugs to get the, the, the high. The other article I did was on cultural Christianity. Um, that had to do that we are living in an age where the Christian church has so compromised its position on truth that in order to be considered tolerant and scientific and to be with the times, it has embraced um, teachings and doctrines and philosophies that are alien to scripture. Um, um, social changes like same-sex marriage, homosexuality, transgender, the, the, these are things that the church should take a firm stand on, or should I say against. But uh, you are labeled as intolerant, you're labeled as um, um, a hater. Um, in other words, you're actually being bludgeoned into adopt a system that is completely contrary to biblical truth. And I thought that that needed to be addressed, and uh, I addressed that. And then the other one I dealt was on the um, the thing about cohabitation, the the error of co- cohabitation, the negative effects of it, why people get engaged, involved in home, in uh, cohabitation, uh, how it affects the the possibility of a woman ever getting married, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and again, I, I prevented presented psychos. Uh, psychological evidence, sociological evidence, scientific evidence, uh, to, to say that people who engage in this practice uh, find that it, it doesn't work. It, it, it actually is very detrimental to the women in particular. And I try to give reasons why women should not be engaged in it. So I, it was ready to deal with what I saw as current issue. The other subject I wrote on that was never published <laughs> was that I really had wanted to address the uh, Rastafarian movement and to talk about the the true origin of Jah, who is, who is the true Jah. Uh, I, I sent the article to both newspapers, but I don't think, not I don't think, neither of them had the courage to publish it. And I thought that was a mistake because I wanted to open debate on these matters. Uh, I do believe that the Bible has answers to every major issue that we face. I believe that there are biblical principles that will bring clarity to a lot of these problems that we face within society. And I believe that it's a duty of the Christian church to get his Christian ideas in the marketplace because we're not going to win this cultural battle in the four corners of the church. We've got to uh, get the Christian principles in the marketplace. Uh, that's where we're going to win this battle if we're going to win it. So we have to take the truth of Scripture and bring to bear upon the issues that society is faced with. So those are the basic four articles that I, I wrote. I am going to turn the marijuana, the, uh, the Rastafarian article into a, a track. If they, they don't uh, publish it in the papers, uh, we'll still make it available to the, the public in the form of a track. But I do feel that that is a movement as well, a Caribbean movement, that um, a cultic Caribbean movement that needs to be addressed. And I do believe that there are some good answers uh, to their um, doctrine and their belief system, et cetera, et cetera. So who is Dr. David Murphy? He's a bold Caribbean man of God, constantly learning, reading, studying. He has a Bachelor of Arts degree in English, Bachelor of Arts degree in Theology, Master's degree in Religion, Doctorate degree in Counseling, many years of experience in counseling, married for 37 years. Uh, was a public school teacher, uh, was involved in management and in marketing, so he has not just been involved in or in ministry, but he's also been in the secular workplace, so he can relate to your concerns, to your questions. 
He was involved in evangelism in Barbados and has been ministering and pastoring in St. Vincent, St. Lucia, and Antigua for 30 years and has preached in many churches throughout the Eastern Caribbean. Pastor Murphy, we've been listening to you share about how God has led you, how God has led you to salvation, God has led you to full-time ministry, God has led you to marry and have a family, God has led you to several different islands and different ministries. But let's talk a little bit about the program That's Truth and the goal, the goal of answering people's questions with the Bible. Today's episode being the first episode of That's Truth is a little bit different, not the regular format, but in the future, when you tune in to That's Truth at 7.30 p.m., a general topic will be introduced for a few minutes, then the phone lines will be opened, and if you have any questions, we would be glad to let Pastor Murphy answer those. In between phone calls, Pastor will be teaching about the topic that was introduced at the beginning of the show. Pastor, we've talked about you, and now I want to talk some about the answers that you'll be giving here on the show, That's Truth. What is the basis, or what is your manual, or your your basis of answering the questions that come over the air here on That's Truth? I would suggest to um, the audience that when it comes to the matter of truth, there's a simple formula to deal with, with this uh, this matter. There are only two sources of knowledge, basically. There's man and there's God. However you look at any form of knowledge, whether it be psychology, sociology, whether it be ecology, uh, science, uh, whether it be whatever it is, it boils, down to, it boils down to God and man. My philosophy of, of life, uh, I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, um, I, I believe that what is needed most today is some firm biblical answers to the problems and issues that we face in society. So from my point of view, uh, this program, I am not going to uh, mislead you. I'm not going to misrepresent why I'm here. Um, I have a Christian philosophy of life. I have a Christian worldview. I have certain presuppositions that I hold to, like everybody holds to. I, uh, I I am going to be as objective as I can be, but there's no such thing as total objectivity. Everybody sees uh, the world through a filter called a worldview. My worldview is the Christian worldview, and central to that worldview is the final absolute authority of Scripture. That's the basis of the answers I will seek to provide for you. Where I can support the biblical answer by historical data or evidence or um, any other resource that would confirm the biblical truth, I would make that available to you. But substantially, uh, this program is to bring to bear upon your questions, the issues uh, within our society, the current events, what how does the Bible relate to that? What does the Bible teach about that? Uh, so it's really going to be uh, focused on Scripture as the final authority and the absolute answer to the questions that you will pose to me. Pastor, can you give us a brief review of how we got the Bible? If the Bible is our basis of truth, how did we get it? 
Well, first of all, um, we must recognize that God is a God who communicates. It is very reasonable that if God created man in such a way that man could communicate, it is quite reasonable to expect that that same God would want to communicate with man. Uh, the ways that God has chosen to communicate with man is through the written word. That is the word of God. Uh, he inspired biblical writers. He chose men, selected men, uh, to convey his word. He, In some cases, he dictated specifically what those men should write. In other cases, he used the writer's style, the, the vocabulary, the knowledge, uh, the history, the background. Uh, to convey his word but in every case God superintended his word so that what we receive today in scripture is what God has designed for us to receive now my, my problem with people is that I don't know why anyone would think that's impossible if God could create the heaven and the earth certainly he could communicate scripture so I find it very difficult for people who say that they believe in a God that he exists, and at the same time have doubt about the fact that that same God could use men to convey his word. But the word of God uh, was inspired, and that word inspired, by the way, when Paul said all scripture given by inspiration of God is the word God breathed. Uh, that's exactly the literal word in the Greek language. Uh, so these, whatever we have in scripture, is what God designed and God ordained, as a matter of fact, the, the Bible tells us that the Word of God is already settled in heaven. Uh, so what we have today uh, is inscripturated uh, words and propositional truth that's been given to us. And God has superintended that what he wanted to convey to us, he's conveyed. Even though he's used a human instrument, he has preserved that that truth will filter through channels. And he has guarded his word and his truth so that we can take the scriptures today and say that uh, what we have in our hands is God-inspired word. How would you align scripture with the writings of Ellen G. White or other religious leaders who have written so-called other revelations? Well, the, the biblical position and the Christian's position is that the Bible is the only final authority and it's also the only revelation that God has given to man. Um, it's not just the, uh, the people like Ellen G. White, uh, she wrote. But again, anyone that is familiar with her and has read the book called The White Lie, um, it's available. Uh, you can go on Amazon and check it out. It has been proven that even though she has made claims that she never attended secondary school, she just went to primary school, and that God showed her to write all of these particular books and prophecies, uh, I would challenge you to get that book. It's called The White Lie, and you will see that the extent of her plagiarism is so embarrassing to that movement that um, uh, the, the gentleman that wrote the book is an ex-Adventist um, convert, and it's when he did his investigation, uh, he could not believe that what she said God had revealed to her were actually taken from other books. And what he does in that book called The White Light, he takes her writings and put it in one, one to the left, and he takes all the plagiarism from the other books and put it on the right. And you can see exactly on the, each page what 
she wrote was what was copied from uh, other writers without giving them credit. Uh, if you go to the Book of Mormon again, uh, Joseph Smith was supposed to have had uh, uh, the angel Moroni and the angel Gabriel to uh, convey uh, truth to him. But the truth that's in the Book of Mormon is all contrary to Scripture. And it's supposed to be an elevated, uh, advanced revelation. But again, the Bible is very, very clear. Anybody that reads Genesis and reads Revelation will know that one is the opening page and the other is the closing page. In between Revelation, uh, Genesis and Revelation is the complete Word of God. The moment you open the door where there's extra biblical revelation, where does it end? Can you, uh, same thing with the, the, the Quran, which is supposed to be an advanced revelation. Uh, so for Christian, uh, we believe that the Bible is complete, and I think anyone that reads Genesis and reads Revelation can come to no other conclusion that one completes the other. And uh, only through God's chosen prophets and apostles uh, we have the Word of God. Uh, so the difference between the other books and, and Scripture, our position has always been a historic Christian position that the Bible is the Word of God, it is the complete Word of God, and uh, all other religious writings, uh, we must believe that they are not only false, but uh, I believe it is part of the, the design of the enemy to confuse the minds of people uh, and to call into question uh, God's word. If you had an arch enemy called the enemy, Satan, uh, the devil, uh, he, his, his chief work is deception. Uh, his chief word is to seduce and to misrepresent the truth. As a matter of fact, you read in, uh, Tessal- in, in Timothy, where Paul talks about in the last days there will be doctrine of demons. Uh, clearly, uh, this is what ha- is taking place. But the whole design behind it all is to create such a state of confusion that people lost confidence in the truth. And when you lose confidence in the truth, you have no moral basis for right and wrong. And I think that's where we are today. Would you say that there's absolute truth? Of course there's absolute truth. As a matter, all truth is absolute truth. Two plus two must always equal four. It can't equal five. Uh, so if you're talking about truth, all truth is absolute truth. And uh, the Christian position, the historic Christian position, is that our entire belief system is predicated on the position that there's absolute truth. What would you say are some of the dangers of accepting the truth as relative? Well, if you accept the truth as relative, uh, who decides which is right and what is wrong? And that is the moral state we're in today. Everything is said to be relative. There was a time when there was a Christian consensus. It dominated the Western world. Generally speaking, uh, the Western world knew right from wrong. They knew what marriage was. They knew what, um, what was sexual sin. They knew male from female. Uh, uh, they knew all the core commandments that God has given t- uh, to, the, to, the, to the Christian because the Western world was based on Judeo-Christian principles. There was a general moral consensus within society. But then when they started undermining the Scripture and uh, allowing other uh, religious groups to become part and, and to dominate, 
uh, it led to the complete decline of Christianity, Christian influence. And today we're in a state where we don't know what marriage is. We don't know what gender is any longer. We, we, we are tolerating um, the evil practice of homosexuality, lesbianism, the transgender issues and all. We, we, we're uh, tolerating abortion. Uh, these are things that would never uh, have become part of the social fabric of the Western world uh, 50 years ago. Uh, so as we have gone away from the truth, we no longer have a foundation on which we can base right or wrong. So it's now devolved into a relativistic state where every man is a truth unto himself. And that's the dilemma we currently find ourselves in in society. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. You're listening to the program, That's Truth, with Pastor David Murphy. Pastor Murphy. Can I I interject with another matter here? For those that uh, might be listening and who would query whether or not there's truth or absolute truth, Uh, It's impossible for a person to be a genuine, authentic Christian and not believe in absolute truth. Uh, The scriptures, it says, uh, our Lord himself said, um, sanctify them to thy truth. Thy word is truth. So scripture is true. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So Christ is truth. John tells us that we need to walk in truth. And our Lord himself in John chapter 8 said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So no real, genuine, authentic Christian should ever or can ever doubt that there is such a thing as truth, an absolute truth. Uh, So I I, I don't know why we should be in the quandary we find ourselves in today, uh, where we have a lot of professed people who are very ambivalent as to what truth is. What Uh, would you do in a case where a scientific... Finding announced on BBC News at noon tomorrow contradicts Scripture. What trumps? I don't think that's possible. Okay. You may have a scientific hypothesis where it is suggested that it is... Look how many things that uh, in the past have been said about Scripture, uh, that it was not scientific, etc., etc., then to discover later on that the Scripture was correct. Uh, If I might use uh, a few examples... Uh, we all know that at that one time uh, they thought the world was flat. That was the scientific view of the world. And then, but long before uh, we came to the modern times where we understood that the, the world was wrong, the Bible had already said that God sits on the circle of the earth. Uh, you've got the hydrocycle in the book of um, Ecclesiastes, which talks about all the water flows into the sea, from the sea it rises again. Uh, that scientific knowledge that is just modern knowledge. You've got the wind cycle, it ter- goes to the north, turns down to the south and back again. You've got the wind cycles. And even in the book of uh, Psalms, it talks about having uh, circuits in the sea. So the Bible has been very far ahead uh, of a lot of the scientific theories that man has discovered. Uh, so there's no, there can be no clash between true science and scripture. Absolutely no class. I found it interesting that you mentioned the wind. Uh I was reading earlier, and 3,000 years before science understood that concept, scripture mentioned that the winds, that God had control of the cycles of the wind, and it wasn't until man sent satellites up into space that he was able to observe the cloud movement and the wind cycles. We have a Let me take another one quickly. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. You take the, the, the second law of thermodynamics that the world was is running down. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you know, but in Psalms chapter 1 or 2, the Bible makes uh, reference to the law of what is called entropy, that this world is, is declining, it will be wrapped up and put aside. Uh, again, that's a scientific principle that is one of those inviolable principles that, that uh, the Bible talks about way ahead of the scientific knowledge that there was such a thing as as uh, the second law of thermodynamics. So, uh, I mean, there are books, uh, several books that are written on this issue that draws the, shows you that the advance in Scripture in terms of the scientific knowledge. So there can be no conflict with true science as far as the Bible is concerned. We've got a question that came in on WhatsApp or text message. Pastor, the question from the listener is, uh, earlier you mentioned, and I think there might be a little misunderstanding, sure. but we'll... Uh, Clarified, Pastor mentioned earlier that homosexuality affects specifically women getting married. I think maybe it was in the context of cohabitation. Yeah, it was cohabitation. Sorry uh, about that. How, how and in what ways would you say the cohabitation limits women getting married? Well, I would recommend to the, uh, the, the uh, audience, um, um, if you could go back in the Observer and, and try in the archives and, and see the, the article. But I mentioned several things. Number one, um, there is a mystery about a woman that is completely lost when she cohabits. Uh, I think that element of mystery is, is, is gone. I think uh, for a woman, uh, it's in her interest to keep a man guessing uh, rather than surrender herself uh, to the person. And then here's another, here's a real serious problem. Why would I trust a woman who I can sleep with before I marry her? What guarantee do I have that after I've married her, she won't sleep with somebody else? See, if a person who's a believer, a Christian, doesn't love God enough to put brakes on her life and say to me as a person, I cannot do that because of my commitment to God, what changes after she marries me? If she doesn't have enough commitment to God to keep herself pure, she allows me to to engage with sexual activity with her before. What guarantee do I have now? She's a professed believer. Uh, I have the liberty of, of, of engaging in immorality with her. Uh, before I married her, how can she guarantee me that it's not going to happen after I marry her? So I, I think if you, you think these things too very carefully... Uh, you will see that it puts a woman in jeopardy in terms of her future is concerned. And then consider the, the, the other matter is that a lot of men will tell you that they don't mind playing the field with uh, certain persons and enjoying themselves. But the moment they get serious thinking of choosing a partner, it is hardly one of those people that they fool around with. Uh, and, and so um, she might have given in to the gentleman whoever it is, to find love and marriage. But the truth of the matter is that uh, when he really wants to settle down, he is looking for somebody who is pure, uh, and and so women put themselves in in great disadvantage. And then when a child comes in a relationship, uh, cohabitation relationship, um, that complicates all of life. The other thing is that I think it's 90%, I remember, I forgot the statistics, I think it's about 90% of those that cohabit don't get married. So here you are, uh, you're cohabiting for a number of years, you've surrendered yourself to the person, you're probably given into sexual uh, immorality because you believe that by doing so it would encourage the person to marry you. 
But here you are, 90% of the cases, you're not going to marry the man you're sleeping with. And may I ask one other question to the, uh, to the audience, please? Is there any gift that a woman could give to a man that is more precious than her virginity? Uh, a woman is a virgin once, and I think that it robs her husband of, 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 of that gift. And it's not to be taken lightly. Most of you ladies that are listening to me will not buy a second-hand dress. You will not take second-hand shoes. You'll not wear um, second-hand um, whatever. So why, if you find it difficult to uh, use a second-hand item, why do you choose to be a second-hand person? Uh, I think that when we come to the altar, we ought to come to the altar pure. I think it's the Christian morality that we keep ourselves pure. I think virginity is a virtue, and I believe we need to bring that back into the, the thinking of our moral in, our, in the modern mind. And uh, we need to understand that uh, we're cheating ourselves of the possibility of success and happiness in the future by engaging in a lot of premarital, really. Let me mention one other thing here, if I may say. Once you have engaged in immorality, you will never be the same. You will never be the same. Uh, the, the Bible says that every sin outside the body, uh, it's a sin except fornication, which is a sin against the body. Your your body structure change, your hormonal desires change, your desires change, and from that moment on, you are now fighting a battle that you never had to fight before, and that is to stay pure when you now have a craving because a desire has been created that was not there before, and because you've had the experience, it becomes much stronger. So it's not wise for any Christian, uh, for anybody for that matter, to engage in cohabitation and immorality is detrimental to marriage. And I think if you talk to people who are very honest, uh, most of them will tell you, Pastor, you're right about that. Thank you very much, Pastor. That leads into the topic that we will be discussing next week, and that is the topic of gender identity issues. What does the Bible say about homosexuality? Is it still a sin? What does the Bible say about other sexual sins and gender. Is the Bible clear on gender issues? Be sure to tune in next Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kHz AM or listen online at www. 
www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.